This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha and caverns deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 664 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum, and may the 4th be with you on this Star Wars day, the day before the premiere of Star Trek Brave New Worlds. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, your head number two, and it blows my damn mind that Kenobi doesn't premiere today. How does Marvel and Disney miss this one? Seriously. I woke up today going, oh shit, it's Obi-Wan Day, and I was like, nope. 27th. What? May 27th. Why? Yeah, yeah. You couldn't do like a Moon Knight and then Kenobi double feature and blow everybody's minds? Like, like it's, come on. Like it's it's 20 it's 20 days away. You're telling me that show's not ready? Hell of a missed opportunity here. And finally, we'll give you a preview of our Patreon extra. This time, the extra will be free because we are honoring the life and career of legendary creator Neil Adams with the help of the THN historian, Dr. Jason Sachs, PhD. We gave him an honorary doctorate from the ziggurat. But now we better check the deflector shields and power up the hyperspace drive because it's review time in the ziggurat. Review Pile comes from the last two new comic book Wednesdays, April 27th and May 4th. This time, we're talking about JRJR's return to Amazing Spider-Man, the death of the Justice League, Vampire Class Wars, and what would a May 4th episode be without a new Obi-Wan comic? Joe Patrick, why don't you start us off with your first comic from last week? You know what would have been a great compliment to a new Obi-Wan comic? I know. It, 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 it seriously blows my mind. My first review is Justice League 75. It's from DC Comics. It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Rafa Sandoval. And here's your solicit. Oversized special issue. Superstar writer Joshua Williamson pens the beginning of the next big DCU event. It all starts here. Just remember that. I just want you to keep that swirling in the back of your mind. Uh, because the solicit is going to end on a real great note. Uh, it all starts here. A new dark army made up of the DCU's greatest villains has formed on the edges of the multiverse. The DCU's best and most powerful heroes are pulled together in an epic war to push the darkness back. But in the end, they are no match for it. That's right. You heard it here first. Well, that's not true, but OK. The Justice League are killed by the dark army with only one survivor to warn the f- remaining heroes of Earth about what is coming for them. Final issue. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. We're going to we're going to get into some more teasing here in a minute. The death of the Justice League is here, whether we want it to be or not. After what I can only assume was a series of issues dealing with its own story. I don't know. I haven't been keeping up. The Justice League title has been completely hijacked by the goings on in Infinite Frontier and Justice League Incarnate. So if you haven't been reading those comics, you'll probably be mostly fine because there's a lot of exposition here. Uh Uh-huh. They set it up. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Writer Joshua Williamson steps in to tee up the world's greatest superheroes for their final battle. He's joined by artist Rafa Sandoval, who delivers his usual solid superhero artwork. The whole thing is very dramatic, very abrupt, and it moves at breakneck speed. 
I really can't stress enough how sudden this all must feel to readers that are just seeing this story for the very first time. There is no buildup. There is no fanfare. It's just here. That's fair. That's totally fair because this is a monthly ongoing series that people follow and read. Yeah. And right. suddenly we have an issue that has nothing to do with what was going on in this series, but it does have a lot to do with what was going on in two other series that are not this series. Right. Guys. And, and like, so like <laughs> Come on. last, last month, uh, last month I looked at justice league 74 and I was stunned to discover that it was not like part three of four of the death of the justice league. Uh-huh. No, it's just, it, it was nothing, nothing to do with the death of nope. the justice league before this issue. Finishing up some residual Bendis stuff, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's a stumbling block for me and me only uh, and Matt, I, uh, apparently. And it seems silly to complain about considering that I have been reading all of these Infinite Frontier tie in books, but I did find it off putting. It isn't that Williamson and Sandoval don't deliver a solid superhero story with lots of larger than life thrills and heroic characters because they do. But I just don't know why we needed this one issue in this series as an additional jumping off point into dark crisis when we've already had two complete limited series already. I said already twice, just for emphasis there. I didn't mean to, but I'm going listen already, already Uh, your mileage may vary, but I was actually kind of annoyed by it. However, it is a solid action story and it's fun to see the justice league operating at their peak. Even if it's just so they can die, there are things going on with characters that I have, like I have no idea what's going on with Uh John Stewart, but that's it's happening. That's stuff that happens in green lantern. And to be fair, that stuff happened in other justice league. It did happen in green lantern. Did We know Uh, that. I didn't think that like Jeffrey Thorne's green lantern, the series that's currently running. All right. I wasn't sure if it happened there or if this was something that happened in justice league incarnate or no, 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 infinite frontier. This is uh, all of the all of the characters status quos are current as of whatever's going on in their own books. Okay, and again, Sandoval's art is really very good. Justice League 75, for better or for worse, is an epic introduction to the dark crisis to come. I just wish it felt a little bit less tacked on. I'm giving it a strong skim it. It's not it's not Williamson and Sandoval's fault that this is where the story. Landed. No, it is. It, this this is could DC's have been a fault. This could have been dark crisis number zero. Right. This is the and I would have been fine with it. This is the same shit that I constantly bang my head against my desk on this show about how DC handles these storylines. There is no reason to do this here. And if you're not caught up on Infinite Frontier and you're not caught up on Green Lantern and you're not caught up on Justice League Incarnate, you're going to go whoa what <laughs> yeah and then th- and then this is the final issue of the right of the series that you've spent 75 and issues there's following. a good chance that you were just a brian michael bendis fan that was reading justice league america and you're like oh yeah i'll give it a try and you're gonna go what the hell is this and there's an easy way to fix certain things and that's just like those little editor's boxes that i asked for that go want to know what's going on with john stewart check out jeffrey thorne's green lantern and th- hey you may have just sold a trade paperback dc and Matt Baum will shut the hell up and he won't scream about it on his show. But this is misplaced. It is completely out of nowhere. It has nothing to do with what was going on. It is the end of a series. It's an end cap for Justice League that has nothing to do with the series. Yeah, yeah, except it's not as well. Like, what are we doing here? It's not bad. It's by no means bad. I'm also going to say it's not great. And we just got out of all this 
Dark Knight's metal crap with metal versions of bad guys. And now we have dark crisis versions of bad guys. I mean, that's just bad guys that are, that have been like taken over by the darkness. But I mean, okay, fair enough, but they're alternate version. They're not acting like themselves. No, it is. No, you're right. But it's, but it's, it is actually doomsday and actually Aries. They're just like possessed by the great darkness. It just, it gave me that same feeling for a minute. And I kind of went, Oh, here we go again. You know? So look, we'll see. Maybe this is going to get better, but you got to figure it out and you got to organize this stuff. And it's not hard DC. We're two more on to just scream about comic books and we came up with a way to do it right yeah, here like why I mean, like what is the urge to make this issue 75 i cannot think of a single reason this should have been dark crisis number zero right could have just end capped this with like infinite frontier omega or some crap and now yeah, we yeah. know we this know what to it be is branded differently it needed yeah. to be placed differently it's in the wrong spot and it is not the fault of the creators uh no. it, it just when you do this with all this weird organization and end the series like this, it's easy to go, eh, you know, and then right. and unfortunately it's not Joshua Williamson's or Rafa Sandoval's fault, who is crazy, stupid, talented. Very I, good. That yeah. dude, I hope he draws DC for the rest of his life because he's great. Skim it. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Jumping from the dark future of DC to the early 1900s in Dark Horse, let's talk about the British Paranormal Society, colon, Time Out of Mind, number one from Dark Horse. The full title has From the World of Hellboy in it, but that's just ridiculous. It's way too long. They put that on the banner at the top. It's not part of the title. I think it is part of the soli- it's part of the solicited title in Diamond. It's like From the World of Hellboy, the full da-da-da. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, crazy. though. <laughs> Here is your solicit. British Paranormal Society members Simon Brutenholm and Honora Grant arrive at Noxton together, but with separate goals. Honora hopes to uncover information on the town's strange traditions while Simon is searching for his missing assistant, but their separate investigations lead down the same twisted path that hides a dark secret behind Noxton's innocent facade. Mike Mignola and Chris Roberson expand the Hellboy universe with a spooky new tale that Mike Mignola did not write, but he did create these characters, featuring art by Andrea Moody with colors by Quentin Winter. <laughs> Dave Stewart then there's could a, not be reached for comment. Yeah. Then there's a dot. <laughs> Owner and Simon from Witchfinder in their own new series. I've read quite a bit of Mike Mignola's Witchfinder. I can't say that I remember bumping into these characters, but that's fine because Roberson introduces the two for new readers so you won't be lost at all. They have a very professional dynamic, which small town Noxton via 1910, of course, finds a little odd, but they're paranormal researchers. So, of course, they're weirdos asking weird questions. Roberson's but, like at, at 19 at 1910, like this guy has to be like Professor Broom's dad, right? They're related. I don't believe it's dad, but they are related. Yes, it's mm. Home family. Roberson's script lays out the mystery in what's come to be the Dark Horse paranormal investigation procedural style. Simon is searching for a lost peer, and Onora is looking into some strange folklore that seems to be isolated to Noxton. Of course, both cases are completely linked, but the mystery is just starting to unfold in issue one. The plot almost came off a little slow, but was just creepy enough to keep me reading. Moody's pencils were made for these creepy, Mignolaverse, early 1900s paranormal mysteries, and everything from the characters to the seemingly adorable village is perfect for Roberson's mystery. Like Witchfinder, this is going to be a slow burn paranormal story, but knowing Roberson and the Hellboy universe, 
neither of these characters might survive. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you're a Lovecraft fan or you didn't think there was enough Eldritch Horrors in Downton Abbey, you're going to feel right at home. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, dude. I mean, look, I'm a sucker for the Hellboy universe. Yeah. Even the even the quote unquote bad ones, I think, are great um, because they've got like a charm to them. They've got a style to them that I'm very taken by. Sure. And right, like it had me from the cover right off the bat. The cover is by Sebastian Fiumara, and I love a Fiumara. I love me a Fiumara. Uh, whether it's Max or Sebastian, it's a beautiful painted cover. Uh, it kind of looks like the Hellboy version of one of those amusement park photos where your family would go and dress up like they're in the wild. Oh, West yeah, yeah, yeah. Like old timey sepia tone. Sepia tone, yeah. Um, I mean, kind of. The art is lovely. I love Andrea Moody. Andrea Moody. Artist of Maniac of New York. Yes. Andrew Moody. He also, I think he also did that Colin Bunn book that we, that we, you and I couldn't figure out what was going on, where it's like some of, some of the time they were dreaming and some of the time they weren't Eh, anyway. Um, but yeah, I like Andrea Moody a lot. Chris Roberson is a great, uh, kind of caretaker of the, um, periphery of the Mignola verse. And, uh, he, he's been writing these like side books forever and ever. And I, I, I just, I, I I love him being part of it. Uh, this is a buy it for me. Super fun. This is also, I, and I should have brought it up. I totally forgot, but this is Moody doing a very different thing than what he does in Maniac of New York, which is very loose watercolor. This is definitely yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. tighter, much tighter, and it looks great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Let's slingshot from the distant past to six months in the future. You're not going to swing into the future? Come on. It's Spider-Man. I guess we're going to swing. (laughs) And when I say six months in the future, I mean six months into our future, not, you know. Or six months specifically into Spider-Man's future and not the whole rest of the Marvel Universe. Or or somebody's. (laughs) It's six months into. Look, it's six months into somebody's future. Don't worry about it. I'm not real sure. (laughs) It's Amazing Spider-Man number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Zeb Wells with art by John Romita Jr. Here's your solicit. Peter is on the outs with the FF. He's on the outs with the Avengers. He's on the outs with Aunt May. No one wants to see Spider-Man except for Dr. Octopus. <laughs> Ox on Spider-Man's tail and the master planner has something truly terrible planned for when he gets his tentacles on Spidey. All that. And what does Tombstone have planned? Just in time for Spider-Man's 60th anniversary and what I assume will be yet another renumbering with number 900. <laughs> a new volume of Amazing Spider-Man begins and 2022 is going to be the biggest year for Spider-Man ever. Don't believe us? We brought John Romita Jr. back just for this. Spidey is back, baby, except he never really left. But that's okay. He brought John Romita Jr. with him, and I couldn't be more thrilled. Romita is joined by his old inking partner, Scott Hanna, who he worked with on the old J. Michael Straczynski run. And the result is a much stronger look, uh, tighter pencils, tighter lines, rather, than we got from his work at D.C., uh, don't get me wrong. There are still some wonky panels here and there. Uh, Randy Robertson's got a bit of a wonky, long, stretchy face. But overall, this issue is a complete departure from the loose, indecipherable scratchings uh, that we saw in his work on Action Comics. Writer Zeb Wells is at the helm, and he brings back an old friend as well, the forgotten gamma-irradiated melting pot gangster Digger. I honestly had forgotten all about this character who first appeared in the JMS run. 
but he's kind of fun. Oh, Look him up if you don't know Digger. I had no clue. And I thought, like, was this something that happened in Spider-Man Beyond? I was like, I'm only, like, five issues behind in Spider-Man Beyond. When would this have happened? <laughs> no, nah, man. It's like second arc of JMS as Spider-Man. I, he's yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. Missed that one. Story-wise, all we know is what Marvel has been teasing for months now. Something very, very bad happened six months ago, and it looks like Spider-Man was to blame. Now we get to see him reconnecting with people that he basically ghosted for half a year. And much like last week's uh, Big Wheel issue, Peter is a complete shithead to most of them. (laughs) You can always rely on good old Aunt May for a shoulder to cry on, though, no matter how badly you messed up. There is a very, very big twist at the end regarding Mary Jane. I will not spoil it here, but it's all over the news sites. If you've made it this far without seeing it, congratulations. I am very excited about this storyline, finding out what happened to Spider-Man, why he drove all of his loved ones away, and the elevation of Tombstone from C-list thug to major villain. I absolutely love Tombstone. I love him. I do too, but... It might just be for this issue. He might get blown up next issue. I don't know. I don't know, man. I think he's in it to win it. I don't, uh, from what I from what I read in the back matter, like they're like, yeah, we want to promote Tombstone into being like a big time. Villain. I'm into it. I'm totally we'll into see. It. Uh, oh, side note, uh, and this is also in the back matter. Uh, if you have not read the classic uh, Robbie Robertson Tombstone prison saga from the 1980s early 90s uh spectacular spider-man you are missing out it is amazing all right i guess it's spectacular amazing spider-man number one is the rare relaunch that actually feels like a completely fresh approach to a very very familiar character something we haven't really seen since dan slot was running the show and you know you might see a new number one and peter parker would no longer be spider-man or he'd be a billionaire or whatever like nowadays they just relaunch comics just for the hell of it but this actually feels new i'm giving this a buy it it's great I think Seb Wells is breathing some fresh air into Spider-Man that we haven't had for a while. And I like what's going on with Tombstone here as well. A lot, actually. This plays off the whole uh, Devil's Reign thing. Now that Fisk is gone, there is this huge hole, you know, vacancy in crime in New York. And Tombstone wants to move in there. And they don't just make him... The old cackling, bad, mean, you know, like evil tombs. Like we get some human moments with them that are kind of cool. I mean, this is, it's very much kind of a, it reminded me a lot of like, Tony Soprano style. Yeah. Like, like we've he's never, a guy we've with never, a family and right. sometimes he has to deal with regular stuff like meeting his daughter's boyfriend. I don't think we've ever seen Tombstone humanized and I really kind of liked it for as much as they mentioned Dr. Octopus in the solicit. Yeah. We don't get not, too much here. But he barely have resins. <laughs> he does yeah. show up. The white rabbit is here again, which I think is interesting. Love the white rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I didn't have any problem with the art. I think John Romita Jr. is born to draw Spider-Man. There's always going to be some walk stuff with his art that just comes with it and it, that's part and parcel of what he every does artist it, it does. happens to every artist it happens to everyone but because of his weird style there's going to be some weird stuff like i'm just like you cannot you cannot tell you cannot hold this issue up to that friggin gorilla grad nonsense no 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 this action is comics and so tell me that this better. is an eight hundred thousand times better. no this is so much better i really enjoyed it and i'm happy to have zeb wells on a major book like this writing spider-man giving it a buy it i'm excited for he was the going. he was the best uh zeb wells was and surprisingly patrick gleason who's who i found uh surprisingly uh, talented as a writer they were the best parts of the beyond 
Uh, oh, definitely storyline. Definitely. Uh, Kelly Thompson, uh, like Kelly Thompson stuff was good, but she tended to focus on like side stuff, which was fine with me. Um, but yeah, Zeb Wells being kind of elevated to one of the main architects of Spider-Man. Thumbs up for that. That's why he got the job. He was great. Let's jump from wall crawlers to blood suckers with bloodstained teeth. Number one from image. It's written, a good segue. Thank you. Great segue. It's written by Christian Ward with art by Patrick Reynolds. We, okay. So we brag about these and fight about them because we don't write the segues. The The trick is we have we to don't. come up with these on it's the fly every yeah. week. And I'm, and I am very bad Joe's at terrible it. at it. You would think after 11 years, he'd be better. <laughs> well, we didn't always do it like this. I know. I know. Here's your solicit. Christian Ward, the Eisner award-winning co-creator of Odyssey, Invisible Kingdom, and Machine Gun Wizards, returns the image with red-hot artist Patrick Reynolds, who worked on The Mask for an all-new, ongoing series, a fast-paced, 100-bullet-style crime saga with fangs. Atticus Sloan, misanthrope, criminal, asshole, and vampire, lives in a world where blood isn't the only thing vamps crave. And for the right price, he'll make you a vampire, too. After all, immortality, it ain't cheap. When it comes to vampire stories, I am a purist. Typically, I don't care for new vampire rules. I don't need them sparkling, passing some kind of vamp disease, or any of the other new takes we've seen. So, when this comic started out with the idea that some vampires were born, and they were the only ones that could create new vamps, I was skeptical. Turns out, I may have been taking it a little too literally. Quickly, I caught on to the class warfare Ward was building with his script, and the young punk in me couldn't help but smile. Sloan is a shithead, for sure, and he's definitely changed some people to vamps that went on to do some very embarrassing things on the internet, but he's trying to make a living here, and he's done with prissy, wealthy, firstborn class who consider the made vamps lesser, calling them sips. The story has some poignant commentary on modern fame, reality TV, and online influencers all through the veil of, you know, vampires in society, which I would argue a lot of influencers are vampires, but that's a different argument. It's also. a different kind of thing. Different it's kind of vampire. It's metaphorical. Yeah. Right. Like, what, what, you know, like, what if I told you that vampires have always been a metaphor? <laughs> <laughs> Reynolds Put on art. My Morpheus glasses and say that to you. <laughs> Reynolds art here is typically not the photo reference style that I enjoy, but when paired with Heather Moore's colors, it becomes sublime. The colors here are simply insane. Almost Warhol style screen printed pop art that gives yeah, the viewer neon. This, neon. Right. This weird idea of what the world might look like through the eyes of a vampire. Like it's just brighter and shinier because you see more and you experience more. It's truly incredible. It reminded me of uh, Leroy Neiman's rock Balboa paintings, which were just mm. these crazy, like splattered colors. And then when you like looked at them from a distance, you're like, oh shit, that's Rocky and Apollo fighting. <laughs> it's awesome. Bloodstained Teeth sold me on its new vampy rules, even if they're only class-based, with an incredible art team and a mean as hell come up its story. I'm giving this a buy it. When you get to that last, I think page, page and a half, where they spell out where this story is gonna go. Yeah. Oh shit. It's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I thought this was great. Um, uh, you know, like humble brag, but not really because it has nothing to do with me, but my friend, Matt, no relation. Uh, he lives in Portland and he's friends with Patrick Reynolds and, uh, he drew, 
Patrick Reynolds drew Matt into the pages of the mask as a security guard eating a cheeseburger. Oh, that's fun. Uh, and that's like his profile pic on Twitter. He's Mr. Mr. Oberts on Twitter. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, but there's an underscore and it's Mr. Underscore Oberts, but yeah, uh, Matt's, Matt's a great guy, a good, uh, funny Twitter follow. Um, and he's also going to be in issue five of bloodstains teeth. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, that has nothing to do with, uh, what I, how I felt about this comic, but I did really like it. Um, Christian Ward, I know primarily as an artist, so I didn't really know what I was getting into with him as a writer. Um, but I thought this was a really great take on vampire lore, though the lore of it, the like the class uh, warfare stuff very much uh, is very reminiscent of like Blade, the first Blade movie yeah. with, um, you know, the 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 true borns are. Pure bloods is what they call the pure them. bloods, yeah. pure blood vampires. And then there were the, the Steven Dorfs that were turned and uh, they were looked down upon. And that's, that's the dynamic in this book. Um, I love the idea that there's just some guy whose business card. It's like the weed guy, like the weed guys from half baked yeah. where you just have the card and you call then he comes and bites you. Yeah. Um, 10 grand. He'll make you a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's like, he doesn't always think it through. And the, some of the, some of the time the vampires that he creates end up doing, like Matt said, very embarrassing things online. Um, I love the art by Reynolds in, uh, and the colors, especially like when he is biting, when you see a vampire biting somebody, uh, the colorist does this thing where there is this like red yeah. kind of wave washing through their body. It's very cool. And the whole thing is very neon, very like eye popping. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. Uh, the art, the art itself, the like line art, um, Matt texted me last night. He's like, I can't tell what's going on with this art. If he's tracing it, like, you know, like a Greg land or, or a Greg Horn or whomever, like these guys that we've criticized in the past, or if it's just photo referenced or if he's actually altering photos, uh, which is certainly a style, um, like a Fumetti style. Yeah. Um, hate it. Hate it. But <laughs> no, yeah, it's, I, like, but like I like looking at it, I, I know that this is actually drawn. This is drawn artwork. It's it's certainly photo reference. Like sure. you can tell sure. just in the way that the just in the way the faces are drawn that they are um, based on actual people like models, yeah. whether he's taken the photo of friends and family or like, looked or found resources if, online. If he's guilty um, of something, he's guilty of being too good at referencing. Well, I mean, but that, like, <laughs> you that's know, not, which is like, like amazing. But that's not that's not a a good or a bad thing. It becomes bad when right. you were like where where I can like find the is Sears catalog that you traced that ultimate name or no, from. No, definitely. What I'm saying is like uh, he's so good at it, I couldn't tell. I was like, sure. this guy's amazing. Um, but yeah, and like a lot of artists use photo reference. Alex Ross uses photo reference. Oh, sure. The trick is that it is that he creates his own reference and he yeah. uses it so that you don't really know that you're looking at another human being right it's you're never gonna like, hear me bitch about an alex ross painting i mean my god yeah and and the art in this comic is is absolutely breathtaking like uh the combination of of line and color is is really something um this is a buy it for me uh i didn't know what i was getting into i only knew of it because my buddy was talking about it and uh i loved it it's a buy it let's move on to this week's comics with twig number one speaking of breathtaking art it's from Image Comics. It's written by Scotty Young with art by Kyle Strom and Jean-Francois Boulot. Here's your solicit. 
series premiere, Eisner award-winning I Hate Fairyland and Middle West writer Scotty Young and artist Kyle Strom, I will not mention what he worked on right now. We'll get to that. Come together for an all-new epic fantasy adventure miniseries. It's the first day of Twig's new job as a journeyer on a Jeff Smith's bone-esque quest. A lot of name dropping in the solicit. And bone-esque. <laughs> like, come on. Bone-esque. <laughs> bone-esque. <laughs> To save a dark crystal slash labyrinth style world. Okay, stop it, guys. Yeah, easy. Join our hesitant hero for an inspiring and imaginative tale of hope, heartache, and determination to overcome insurmountable odds. I mean, all of that stuff is true. It's true, but bone inspired sounds a lot less erotic bone-esque. than bone Yeah, it's bone <laughs> Yeah. Uh, this comic pushed all my buttons. It looks like a beautifully animated Saturday morning cartoon and has a story like a classic adventure RPG video game. Neither of those things are meant to be dismissive because I absolutely loved Twig number one. Scotty Young continues to improve as a writer with each new project. Twig is a lovably reluctant hero and his sidekick Splat is a hilarious pest. Young's script has a streak of maturity with the added layer that Twig is being more or less forced into the life of an adventuring protector, taking up the role from his deceased father, when what he'd really love to do is continue his studies as a chef. The rest of the world is full of bizarre creatures with big personalities that guide Twig on his quest. Life is breathed into Young's story by the lushly vibrant art of Kyle Strom and colorist Jean-Francois Boulot. Now, Kyle Strom, you might be asking yourself, where have I heard that name before? Go ahead and pause this episode and Google Image Comics Spread or Image Comics Unearth. And just take a look at the kind of stuff Kyle Strom is known for. Uh, I will give you a hint. We once called spread lone wolf and cub meets John Carpenter's the thing. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. He does gore. <laughs> it's gore. It's <laughs> yeah. terrible, frightening, horrible gore. Yeah. So when beautiful, I initially saw gore. his name, I was like, it's gotta be some horror thing, right? I don't know why they yep, called it. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Every panel, every panel looks like its own carefully considered complete piece of art it's breathtaking this comic book is so gorgeous i didn't even notice the square word balloons (laughs) twig number one is a comic that will feel very familiar to readers of a certain age as it wears all of its influences on its sleeve not only the video game stuff that i mentioned and it is a melting pot of those influences and it becomes something new instead of a rehash of familiar ideas young and strong nail it here this is a huge buy it from me i absolutely loved it yeah any fan of creature creation you know or, or design yeah, it's very jim henson is gonna love yeah. this it reminded mm-hmm. me of like the scene in the dark crystal where they're walking through the swamp and there's just like little monsters everywhere and they're yep. all making dumb noises and they're like farting and biting each other and stuff like only here they all talk <laughs> like everybody yeah, talks. Yeah, the they trees talk. talk. Twig, yeah. yeah. You know, mold talks, a mountain talks. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's adorable. It's very all ages. There's nothing like you couldn't sit down and read with yeah. your young little guy, little girl. You know, this is a good all age, beautiful read that'll like keep parents very involved as well. Engaged. Yeah. And I think bone is probably the perfect thing to liken this to. 
I'm giving right. it a huge bite as well. Because like because like it is all ages, but there are mature themes like death, sure, and responsibility yeah. and and expectate the weight of expectation. Like that's heady stuff for right. a kid. Needle drugs, things like that. They're, yeah, they're all but in like here, nobody know? gets run through with a sword. There you are know? there are no needle drugs. I was kidding. But you know, like <laughs> but three or four pages into this uh twig uh, gets to the his boss or whatever the guy that sends him on the quest and after i read that scene i said to myself out loud under like under my breath i muttered it's dangerous to go alone take this <laughs> and like from that moment i was like i was all in on this comic. oh yeah it's yeah. wonderful it's all there legend zelda definitely you know yeah. never ending story absolutely it's all there All right, enough cute monsters. Let's talk about cute buddy comics. Archer and Armstrong, forever. Number one from Valiant. This is written by Steve Foxy with art by Mauricio Fiorito. Here's your solicit. When Armstrong seemingly loses his immortality, Archer refuses to let his best buddy go gentle into that good night. But when you live for millennia, you rack up plenty of enemies who will be thrilled to find out you're no longer indestructible. Archer and Armstrong's globetrotting quest for more immortality begins here. At its core, Archer and Armstrong is an unlikely buddy comic. Think of it as the odd couple if you're old like me, or maybe Rush Hour if you're 15 years younger. And I'm sorry I can't come up with a reference for you young, beautiful the premise is great. Archer was raised in a religious cult to kill an immortal drunkard party guy, Armstrong, but they meet and of course they fall in buddy love. While the premise is great, it's also tricky to keep the magic feeling fresh. And much like Rush Hour 3, it can get tired fast, even with Max Van Sydow in the cast. Here, Steve Foxy keeps the story very fresh. Okay, stop calling him that. I can't help it. With a new twist, Armstrong's immortality seems to be fading, but doesn't go for pure slapstick laughs either. There's a gang of gardeners with real financial issues just trying to survive by stealing from drunk Armstrong and accidentally revealing his immortality isn't working anymore. There's also a truly scary villain at play and even a billionaire Colonel Sanders lookalike that wants a literal piece of Armstrong. So there's no way to talk about it without spoiling it. But Valiant is giving away Armstrong ears today if you pose with oh, your no picture kidding. on Twitter. Yeah, there's a plastic ear that says Archer and Armstrong on it. It's awesome. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Fiorito's art is very solid, but it does get a little stiff at times. I love his design on the new villain. His anatomy is excellent. And the panels of Archer ruining people with his martial arts skills narrated by Fox remind me of Ed Brubaker's Iron Fist, but of course, with a sense of humor. It's like swinging heel kick, you know, this devastating kick does whatever, whatever. And then it's like sneak in the house maneuver. Got to be quiet here. (laughs) Or he's like getting climbing in through a window. Valiant doesn't seem to be putting out the same volume of titles they were a few years ago, but I'm glad that they're keeping Archer and Armstrong alive with an exciting new creative team. Stop making bad, hyper serious bloodshot movies and give us a good, funny Archer and Armstrong TV show in the spirit of these comics. Will you guys? I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I liked this quite a bit. Um, I I haven't read uh, enough Archer and Armstrong to know uh, all of the details of his origin, but like I like the idea that Armstrong's immortality is a finite resource. It's not so much that like, oh, no, you know. I've I've been exposed to kryptonite and now my immortality is gone. It's like, no, I've just used up the last of it. And he admits he's like, I never said I was immortal. I said I'm 
functionally, functionally or basically immortal. immortal. <laughs> yeah, he's functionally immortal. Yeah. And uh, like I and like I love the attitude that like Armstrong was just at peace with it. He's like, well, that's how it that's how it goes. I've lived for ten thousand years and I've run out of time. I wonder, you know what? I wonder what happened. I I wonder I wonder if it was that last adventure I had where you know X Y Z happened to me. And uh, yeah, I, I thought that that's a fun take on on the whole idea of immortality. And I also love that uh, Archer uh, just can't let it go. This was a great, uh, you know, buddy cop style. Not a bad jumping um, on point either. I mean, even if you've never no, read not Archer, at all. Armstrong, not a bad, it's all there. They give you all the details. They they, they yeah. give you everything you need to know about both characters uh, without bogging down. Yeah. The comic in lore about the characters. So like we don't like Fox doesn't spend five pages discussing the weird fundamentalist cult that Archer comes from. Yeah. You get a couple of panels and that's all you really need to enjoy this comic. And I did. I thought the art was great. It's a buy it for me. Well, everybody knows that Joe Patrick hates fantasy, but what this book presupposes is. Maybe he doesn't. <laughs> that was very good. Nice job. <laughs> Thank you. Owen Wilson, Wes Anderson's Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. If uh, you have to explain it, then, you know, <laughs> you're taking it I too know. hard. No, that, that was, that was a joke about me being unfunny. Gotcha. Yeah. So my next review is of quests aside. Number one from vault comics. It's written by Brian Shermer with art by Elena Gogu or Gogao. Here's your solicit, a skeleton, an apprentice mage, and an exiled princess walk into a bar, dot, 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 for another shift at Quest's side, the local watering hole run by once legendary, now retired adventurer Barrow. When the king privately explains that he plans to shut the place down, Barrow must find a way to hold on to his business and the family he's built around it. It's always sunny in the realms. Shermer and Gogao deliver a story that's more cheers than it's always sunny, but that isn't a bad thing. Quest Aside is packed full of memorable characters and enthusiastic patrons, some of which are a little too enthusiastic. In fact, I now that I'm remembering it, I think this was the book that had the funny sound effects because one of the sound effects yeah. is giant. Uh, and I'll let you discover what yeah. is making that sound There's on a your scene where a character slams a door and it says Hodor. <laughs> right. Hodor. Yeah. Yes. That was very funny. <laughs> Shermer's script is a lighthearted spoof of both role-playing games and sitcoms, and he does a great job establishing the primary cast, including owner Barrow, staff, Vale, Joden, Susanna, and Ray, who is a skeleton, and the unnamed bard that acts as the tavern's hype man and has a tendency to get into intense bard-offs with a rival in a much loftier position. There's also a subplot involving the king's desire to take over Quest's side and turn it into a a troop barrack for the expanding empire. I absolutely loved the art by Gogao with her expressive characters and interesting layouts. The battle of the bards alone is worth <laughs> the price of admission. It was really cute. Uh, the rival bard is very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Quest aside. Number one, isn't quite the filthy. It's always sunny in Philadelphia meets D and D story. I was hoping for, but I still found it to be a really enjoyable tale full of fully realized characters and great art. This is a buy it. Yeah, I think your cheers metaphor is right on the money because like you could even feel in the script the way it's written where if this were a TV show, they would pause for a laughter and applause here. Like it's right yeah, there. Right. No question. Yeah, exactly. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I liked about this that I think a lot of this fantasy stuff that sort of tries to like modernize fantasy, if you will, like uh, Vox Arcana or whatever that Amazon show 
that I wasn't particularly into. It's one thing to say, we're going to do fantasy and we're going to reference a bunch of modern stuff, but we're going to reference everything. We're going to reference TikTok. We're going to reference rap. We're going to reference the Super Bowl. We're going to, you know, like slow down. This is just doing a thing. And they said, we're going to reference some well-known fantasy stuff. We're going to do it in a sitcom kind of fashion, but that's it. We'll just, we'll play it cool. And we're not going to go insane with that stuff. And I like that they showed a little bit of that control in the script. The art's yeah. great. This is it funny. Was rest- it was restrained. Yes. Exactly. It's, it's not laugh out loud funny, but it's clever. And I had a good time. Clever. I'm giving it a yeah. buy it. Speaking of laugh out loud funny, it's Star Wars Day, and nobody <laughs> hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans, so let's talk about Star Wars. Obi-Wan, number one of five, from Marvel's 399. It's written by Christopher Cantwell, with art by Ario Anandito. Here's your solicit. Fast approaches the ultimate destiny of one of the Jedi's most renowned masters. As he spends his final days in the remote deserts of Tatooine, Obi-Wan Kenobi takes time to reflect on and record key moments of a heroic life long lived writing in old leather bound journals from his hermit's hut. Obi-Wan remembers his days as a young Jedi initiate, his trials as a Padawan, the crucible of Jedi knighthood and the clone wars and some of the earliest challenges he faced as a true master of the force. In this tale, Obi-Wan considers a watershed youngling adventure. He narrowly survived on Coruscant when he was but eight years of age. This is just the beginning of his Jedi journey. Christopher Cantwell gets his first shot at Marvel's Star Wars, and it's just in time to get us fired up for the new Disney Plus Kenobi series coming out in three damn weeks. Unlike that Disney series that looks to focus on a very specific time in Obi-Wan's life, Cantwell gets to explore Obi-Wan's entire past, starting with this tale of a young Kenobi trying to dissuade a friend from leaving the Jedi Temple. The story starts with old man Kenobi narrating, and Cantwell has his Sir Alec Guinness dialogue perfected. Even when we get into eight-year-old Ben, he still very much sounds like the character we know and love today. And I like that Cantwell's setting up like, look, this is just who Obi-Wan is. It's who he's always been. He's a loyal Mm -hmm. guy. He talks with these pauses, and that's just how he does it, (laughs) you know? There's a great story about why a young Jedi might decide to leave the temple and return to the family that they've given up. And I'd argue the motivation here was way better than little Groku's. Along the way, we get he some. He just loved the Mandalorian. Uh huh. I know. Along the way, we get some amazing looks at Coruscant, courtesy of Anandito's beautiful art. There's some great character work here, highlighting alien races that any Star Wars fan is going to recognize. But I really liked the action sequences. I didn't recognize Anandito's name, but he's been working on the Star Wars High Republic book for a while now. So I got to check that out. I've been told <laughs> it's not about stoners fighting for marijuana rights against the empire which seems like a missed opportunity to me personally because you know weed's illegal in the empire of course it is those dude those dicks don't like that fun luke ross is on pencils next issue so it turns out they're going to be switching artists each time it's been a while since i've read a marvel star wars title but the first issue of obi-wan grabbed my attention and it made me realize outside of the prequels I don't know much about Obi-Wan's past at all. I don't know anything about Obi-Wan. Right. Be. You know, yeah. I'm giving this a buy it. I thought it was great. I agree. I Part of me it was super excited that it was Christopher Cantwell because I have been on a kick catching up on his Marvel superhero work. He's great. Uh, the He's past couple months. 
And he is probably my one of my favorite writers at Marvel yeah, right now. Definitely. And so seeing that he wrote this, I was like, oh, yes, okay. I want more of this. I'm gonna lay this um, out. It's time for Cantwell to write an Avengers book. Thank you, Jason Aaron. It's time Aaron. for Cantwell to write the Avengers. That's book. what I'm saying. Thank you, Jason yeah. Aaron. Done a great job. Go yeah. sit down. <laughs> like, go do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, that's, yeah I agree. Um, I And uh, I, I really enjoyed this. I, I loved this kind of peek at Obi-Wan as a little kid. All of the best stories about young Jedi in training are about how they defy their masters, right? Well, sure. Um, it, it's just like. What fun! What fun is a story where the, a Padawan just follows all the rules? And all the nobody most, wants to read that. All the most famous Jedi were the most spirited Jedi. Says well, right, so. exactly. And so, like, nobody wants to read a story where Obi Wan doesn't chase after his friend. Right. And so, uh, I thought that that was really compelling. Uh, I thought that the friendship was very well done, and you just know that that character is coming back. The art was great. I actually thought uh, Anne and Dito does something. Or at least it seemed to me that Anne and Dito kind of shifted a little and the art became more cartoony when it went from old Obi-Wan to young Obi-Wan. And I thought maybe there were two artists. No. Yeah, it, um, but I agree. They definitely he they like tightened it up. But yeah, it's very well, it's well done. It's, it's like, it's visually distinctive yeah. between the two eras in a way that I liked. I was surprised that we got started off with the Alec Guinness Obi-Wan and next issue, we're going to see the Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan as a slightly older man. And uh, I'm into this. I'm into the series and it actually kind of made me miss how excited we all were for Star Wars when it launched at Marvel. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think that like Marvel, Marvel just kind of did what they did with Conan and every other licensed, you know, property they've inherited in modern times. They flooded the market with so many Star Wars books that I was just like, I'm out. Yeah. I, I kind of want to go back and at least read some things that are now done and collected. The High Republic, I think, is very interesting. People so are very that into that. So and uh, and this book, like. Not only was this a good comic, but I read it and went, you know what? I need to read more Marvel Star Wars comics. Yeah. So, I, I need to pay job. more attention to them, too, because they are fun. When they're good, they're great. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. Matt, before we head to the Ewok after party where they serve that weird berry wine fermented with their spit. We need to pick one of these comics. You know what? It grows on you. It grows on you. <laughs> and the you. more you drink of it, the better it is. Oh, the diarrhea the next day isn't. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you know, you just, you live with the consequences. It's the price you pay. But we need to pick one of these comics to live on in infamy in the THN permanent collection. What was the best book that you read in this week's pile? I'm tempted to say Twig because it was just, it was so... You know, the, like visually interesting and fun and and lighthearted, but I think I gotta give it the bloodstained teeth because that book, like I've never seen anything like that. It, it was just insane visually. It was crazy, and I love the twist and I love the setup. I think it's bloodstained teeth. I get it, and I kind of thought that that's what you'd say. For me, it was quick. Uh, I finished Twig Number One, and I like it was like a warm hug. You know, it was like I just like this was everything I wanted. It, it was a fantasy adventure that harkened back to all of the things I loved as a kid, but it also didn't insult me as an adult. I couldn't have been more impressed by it. And Scotty Young, he's a writer to watch, man. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't super into his earliest stuff as a solo writer. 
but yeah, he's, like with in, the, he's the me you love in the dark, and with this, I'm yeah. like, yeah, Scotty Young. That but guy, he figured it out. it out. He did the work, and he and he figured it out. Joey, I, I say we skip the Ewok celebration this year. I'm always afraid we're going to get a little too drunk. One of us is going to pass out, and we end up being roasted on a spit, you know? Fair. That's fair. That's Instead, let's head up the DHN Sanctum Sanctorum and commune with the Jedi ghost of Yaddle, the little Lady Yoda that didn't get a single line in the prequels, and see what she is suggesting for our must-read picks next Wednesday, April 11th. Sounds good to me. Yaddle has me excited about Captain America, symbol of truth number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Tochi Anyabuki. I know that we figured out how to say that I last you, week. I think you named it, but it's Toki. It's not Tochi. Toki. Thank you. Toki Anyabuki. Uh, with art by R.B. Silva. Here's your solicit. Captain America soars again. Sam Wilson picks up the shield once more and enters a world of trouble. Following a lead from Misty Knight, Sam intercepts a mysterious group hijacking what appears to be an empty train. As he digs deeper, he discovers the plot may be connected to a crucial piece of Captain America history and surprisingly Wakanda. The world is ready for two Captain Americas, or as I like to call it, Captain's America. But is Sam Wilson ready for what comes next? Acclaimed writer Toki Onyabuki from Black Panther Legends, Riot Baby, and last uh, week or two weeks ago's Captain America Zero. Teams with Stormbreaker R.B. Silva, who worked on Powers of Ten, Inferno, Fantastic Four, etc., etc. He's very, very good to open a thrilling new chapter of Captain America history. Uh, so... Matt and I both raved about Captain America Zero. It was great. And how we were very excited for the solo books to spin out of it. That starts next Wednesday. I can't wait. This also spins right out of the Black Panther storyline that's been going on with like the shadow spies and all that. Like, Ooh. yeah, Sam's going to find out about it and it's going to be bad. <laughs> I have a feeling. I love it. My pick for next week is Jurassic League number one from DC. <laughs> it's $3.99. I could not resist. This is written by Juan Gideon and Daniel Warren Johnson with art by Juan Gideon. Here's your solicit. You know the story. An infant escapes the destruction of its home planet and is deposited on Earth to be raised by human parents. A goddess from a lost city defends truth. A Tyrannosaurus Rex dons the visage of a bat to strike fear into evildoers' hearts. This heroic trinity, alongside a league of other super-powered dinosaurs, joins forces to save a prehistoric Earth from the sinister machinations of Darkseid. Wait, what? Okay, maybe you don't know the story, so join us and bear witness to a brand new yet older than time adventure and experience the justice league as you have never seen them before now let me stop you before you're like all right guys hold on you got all mad about the avengers of 1 million bc and like how is this any different here's how this is different this is completely ridiculous and they are just diving in and it. going and also <laughs> daniel warren johnson yeah. is involved and that's all i need to know right and like now would i prefer that he was writing and drawing the whole thing sure Juan Gideon is also excellent and the yeah. art looks fantastic and this is going to be another completely bonkers like speed metal version of the Justice League if they were dinosaurs I can't wait <laughs> it looks stupid and fun as hell uh, the only other thing I needed to know other than the involvement of Daniel Warren Johnston 
is um, how does Badasaurus Rex put his costume on? I love it. Tyrannosaurus Rex dons the visage of a bat to scare people. <laughs> I think it's great. Because a Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, it's scary, sure, but not, not scary. Enough, yeah. scary. <laughs> uh, the THN trade of the week for May 11th goes to Carmen. It's a hardcover from Image Comics. It's $24.99. It's written and drawn by Guillaume March. And here is your solicit. Spanish writer and artist Guillaume March or, you know, you can call him Gwillem if, you, if you're nasty, uh, best known for his work on Batman, Catwoman, and Harley Quinn, takes up his pen for a cutting-edge story about a highly unconventional angel named Carmen and the young woman she takes under her wing when heartbreak strikes too hard. Packed with intriguing twists and metaphysical musings, this gorgeously drawn series brings tenderness, heart, and humor to the delicate and difficult matters of life and death that we all face. It collects Carmen 1 through 5. I love this book that's why i picked it because i love march and i love his art and it's super creepy it's eerie and it's beautiful beautifully illustrated god this guy's good you can find links to these picks in our show notes and we always post our must read picks on our twitter and our facebook every wednesday so you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic book shop but let us know what you thought of our picks joe can you think of any place off the top of your head that would be a good place to, I don't know, directly get in contact with us and talk with us on a regular basis about something like our picks of the week? Uh, you know what, Matt? We started a new Discord server. Freaking it's called, right we did. It's called Ziggurat Worldwide, baby, and you are invited. Head over to our website, toitinner.com. You'll see the link at the top that says join us on Discord. The details are all there, but stay tuned to the end of the show. We'll fill you in a little bit more. As we end the show. Apologies to the Russian football bots. You're not invited. Sorry, guys. No. Or the people that called me fat on Periscope. You are also not invited. F you. Last week, we lost a titan of the comic book industry, Neil Adams, a creator so important, we brought in the big guns to discuss his life and career, Dr. Jason Sachs. It's honorary. Don't look it up. It's fine. Honorary doctorate via the ziggurat, you know. Yeah, Ziggurat University. It's still very important. Let's not downplay it, okay? <laughs> okay, yeah, no, Ziggurat University is a real thing. Uh, we're accredited by somebody. Normally, our Patreon Extra would be available for patrons that donate as little as a dollar a month, but uh, we decided to put the full segment up for free at patreon.com slash nerd, and we're giving you a preview right here of the segment. Please head to Patreon, listen to Jason's full, heartfelt remembrance of Neil Adams' a true force in the industry that changed comics forever. I have the sad opportunity to talk about the passing of Neil Adams at the age of 80. If you're only familiar with Adams from his most recent comics work, um, you really only know a small slice of what made him one of the most important cartoonists in comics history. I don't think that's even arguable. So let me start with a little story from my own youth as a comics fan. Uh, Back in the day, uh, when you had to send away for catalogs out of the back of Marvel Comics, and you'd get back, you know, these booklets from Howard Rogofsky and George Bell and other folks that listed comics for sale. There was one name that always seemed to be called out in the price guides those folks sent out and always seemed to be worth more money. And that was the name Adams. Neil Adams 
hit the comics industry like a lightning bolt in the late 60s, unlike anyone other than Jim Steranko. Like Steranko, Adams is a raconteur. He was a revolutionary. He was a man who did things his own way. And he's a man who um, every comic he created was seen to be important, powerful, interesting, significant in comics history. Adams came up in the early 1960s. He was drawing comics for himself and got a job working in the commercial illustration industry where he drew a lot of advertisements and other things. He got a job drawing a comic strip that adapted a TV series called Ben Casey. And Adam's work on the Ben Casey comic strip was what we would call realistic at the time, like Alex Kotsky, who Dave Sims celebrated in a lot of his comics, or Alex Raymond. Adam's art style was seen as being very kind of real to life. And he drew Ben Casey for a number of years, but his dream was really to work in comics, which was unusual for the time. In the mid-60s, um, there wasn't a lot of work in comics, but Adams was able to get his first job through a series of hard work and perseverance. He was able to get work first at some smaller companies and eventually at DC Comics. In fact, um, he was able to break through to one of the more closed areas of DC Comics, the comics of Mort Weisinger. Adams quickly established a reputation as one of DC's finest cover artists in the mid-1960s, 65, 66, and 67. He did this, like a group of five Legion of Superheroes covers, some action and Superman covers, which stand out because they are dynamic and kind of thrilling and intriguing. They're all teaser covers, right? And that's the same sort of thing that artists like Wayne Boring and Kurt Swan and Kurt Schaffenberger drew during that time. But they stood out because there was some dynamism to them. They were really highly intriguing for what they were. Adams drifted into drawing some full comic strips in the uh, later 1960s. First major strip was called Dead Man. Is that you, Boston? Hiya, Bats. When I'm working, people call me Dead Man. Dead Man was this kind of side creation by writer Jack Miller. First story was drawn by Carmine Infantino. And Infantino passed this series on to Adams. And it's the story of a man who is killed by a one-armed man with a hook. Um, he's part of a circus group. He is able to take over bodies. And in his adventures, he journeys far and wide throughout the world. It's kind of a crazy comic strip. It's available in the DC Unlimited app. And I don't not recommend it. It's just a very kind of strange strip. It's got its own kind of quirks and interesting approaches. Adams love to play with page layout, again, like Steranko, and love to kind of try things in different ways. It makes the comic feel innovative, interesting, intriguing. Most people who follow comics probably know Adams best for his work on the Batman series. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 664, and next week, the Cosmic Longbox returns, forcing us to review classic back-issue comics based on a theme. Joe, what is this infernal box chosen for us this time? 
Apparently, next week, we're talking about magic users in honor of the release of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. But these are magic users that aren't Doctor Strange. That's right. There's so many people that use magic in the Marvel DCEU that, like, you may not even know about. We're going to dig into it. It's going to be fun. Like, fate from the 90s who had, uh, <laughs> yeah. who had Dr. Fate's uh, cape bandaged say, around his arm. Subject is magic users, not shitty magic users. <laughs> well, look, sometimes they look. They might be shitty. They might be good. You don't know. If you want to rap about this week's episode, comic books you read, other shitty magic users, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following on our Discord in the Nerd News Channel, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Time. You can watch the broadcast live on our Facebook page, but if you want to play along, join our Discord and learn how to chat or talk with us live on the show. And don't forget, we got a question of the week here. That's right. This week's question is courtesy of Michael Severe. I met a guy at work that I really shouldn't have anything in common with, but he's a big fan of Gambit. And our mutual liking of that character has made us friends. So I wondered if there is a character or a comic book or a fandom that is the reason for one of your friendships. So we he, he specified he specified a particular character which we have opened up to any fandom. So is there a friendship in your life that only exists because of your shared love of a thing? Uh, whether that's a comic book thing or Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever. We want to hear about it. We want to hear the story. Uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can post them online uh, at all of the usual places, but you can also post your suggestions in the question of the week channel on the new Discord. You can find out all about how to join us on Cover to Cover Live at our Discord. Go to the Discord for the rules, for the tips, the tricks, the how-tos, but if you can't be there live, shoot an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the Ziggurat hotline. I'm sorry, it's called the THN hotline. Branding is important. It's 402-819-4894. You could be internet famous. You'll be more famous after you join the Discord. In case you haven't figured it out by now, we want you to join the Discord. (laughs) Remember to keep your recorded messages short and sweet. Uh, Two minutes or less is the sweet spot. We want to share the air with all the people that are going to be participating live. If you're new to the show and you would rather sit on your lightsaber than listen to any more, I assure you, you just haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. By the way, THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, longtime listener, Ano Sionis. Ano, that guy! hey I think it's supposed to be Ano Sionis. I know, but it doesn't work. Ano, it sounds vaguely dirty. But it doesn't work with the Ano, that guy. Oh, come on. And, you know, what do you do? You Thank can, you, Anyo. Oh. <laughs> we appreciate you. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. Who knows? We might mispronounce your name, too. But while you're there, you can hear all kinds of exclusive content or just make a one-time donation via PayPal. Because as a Jedi, you understand material things like Patreon extras are meaningless compared to the power of the Force. Nah, because you got you, a pink streak in your hair just like fate. Yeah, maybe you have a pink streak in your hair. <laughs> and you're just that kind of badass. <laughs> That's right. 
Before we go, our weekly shout out. Go, you know, look, look, in my it, it may have been a white streak, but in my memory, in my heart of hearts, it's look pink. Now. And I feel like it's pink or red. And I don't want to know. Just don't look it up. Let's just say that it was pinkish. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the dudes that helped us beta test the Ziggurat Worldwide Discord server over the weekend. Their participation and input helped us build the new online space into something really exciting, and we were so pumped about it that we launched it after just a few days of testing. Word to you boys, you know who you are. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might tell everyone you have a pink streak in your hair when in reality, it was red the whole time. Look, it's pinkish red. It's bright red. We were Magenta. wrong. Magenta. This is the two-headed nerd signing off. Ain't nothing wrong with pink. <laughs>